Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and I'm here with Joey. Hey! And today we're going to be discussing the movie The Matrix, and uh, uh, one of the most popular movies of all time, and yes. one of my favorites. Uh, I was happy to revisit it, uh, but I, I'm not exactly sure. I think after a little more critical analysis, I definitely have a new perspective on this movie. Yeah? Uh, what did you think, Joey? This movie is still one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. Um, it taps into like so many different like ideas, so many different like philosophical themes. Um, there's there's so many layers that you can get into this. Uh, in preparation for this podcast, I was reading or attempting to read a book called uh, The Matrix and Philosophy, which was a collection of essays about um, Matrix inspired themes and wow. uh, all these things. It's um the subtitle of the book is The Desert Welcome to the Desert of the Real and I feel like that's an appropriate subtitle uh, because the book is pretty dry. <laughs> that's good. Well, and that's that's a reference to what Neo, I mean Morpheus says yeah. when he's uh, in the loading program where they can load whatever they want and he's exposing Neo to the truth where they have like the little leather chairs. Uh so Good reference. I'm uh, I'm impressed, Joey. Oh, thank uh, you. Well, speaking of doing some light reading, we'll <laughs> go ahead and read the synopsis of this movie and get so right. So spoilers into ahead for this not mo- one of the most well-known movies that came out in 1999. Yeah, if you haven't seen this movie yet, but you're also listening to a podcast called The Matrix, like episode called The Matrix, that is. Uh, I think it's too late I, for you. Yeah, you might as well, well just keep just, listening. That's yeah. It doesn't sound like that would happen. So if you're here, hello. But uh, for everyone else, we're gonna go ahead and uh, go move forward with the synopsis. So Thomas A. Anderson is a man living two lives. By day, he is an average computer programmer, and by night, a hacker known as Neo. Neo has always questioned his reality, but the truth is far beyond his imagination. Neo finds himself targeted by the police when he is contacted by Morpheus, a legendary computer hacker branded a terrorist by the government. Morpheus awakens Neo to the real world, a ravaged wasteland where most of humanity have been captured by a race of machines that live off the human body's heat and electrochemical energy and who imprison their minds within an artificial reality known as the Matrix. As a as a rebel against the machines, Neo must return to the Matrix and confront the agents, super powerful computer programs devoted to snuffing out Neo and the entire human rebellion. Very nice. And also, I, how I would summarize this movie is Neo becomes the one. That's right. That's It's the kind of the transformation. And, and that was the first thing that struck me watching this movie again because... The last time I watched The Matrix, I watched The Matrix, and then like soon after I watched the second Matrix, and then I didn't watch the third one because the second one made me think I shouldn't watch the third one. <laughs> Quit but, while you're ahead. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but watching this again from the beginning, it was so much. You know, I, I was so much clearer who Neo was before he was Neo when he was just Thomas Anderson. What do you mean? Uh, it, He's just you realize how powerful he becomes, and it's in uh, and then you return to who he was before any of that stuff happened. He seems he's just such a plain guy, so yeah. not powerful. And like seeing him shuffle between cubicles seems so beneath what he eventually becomes. He he hmm. he, he goes through such a transformation uh, after that because I, I I think Neo is one of the coolest like. Not really. I guess he's not like a superhero, but he's just like such one of the coolest 
heroes in yeah. cinema, very memorable, and he has a really cool origin story. Uh, and uh, I usually don't think of him as Thomas Anderson at all, always kind of just Neo and how badass he is. But he starts off as just a, a cubicle uh, jockey, just like any other normal guy. Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting because I feel like Keanu Reeves doesn't really carry this movie very well. Um, I really like Keanu Reeves. I think he's an awesome actor. I love all of his movies, but I feel like he's not like he's very bland in this movie, and that may be on purpose. But like everything else, kind of happens to him. He does make some like important decisions, and he's like I like his kind of overall like philosophy and his arc, and like you know, kind of accepting fate instead of rejecting it in a way. Uh huh. Um, but it's still like you're. I, I saw this really interesting video on Cracked a long time ago, and I can't find it now, but basically they argued that Keanu Reeves is really bland in this movie so that you're it's easier for you to project yourself onto him. Oh. And so, like, you substitute yourself for Neo in, in all of this. Although, like, I don't know if I would make the same decisions that Neo does. Well, I, so. I kind of got the impression that Neo... I, I don't know, like... Uh, this may be simplifying it too much, but it kind of seemed like Neo just believed everyone else when they would tell him he is the one. I mean, whether or not he truly believed it till the end, but, like, people kept telling him, you're the one, you're the one, and he kept on just being like, well, let's just see what happens. Let's yeah. see if I am the one. And it turns out he is the one. And that and, and it does almost feel like just a series of events happened to him, and he just has to be there and then find out eventually that he is the one. Like, it didn't matter what he did specifically. It was just going to end up with him either finding out he wasn't the one or finding out that he was it wasn't like he really it didn't seem like he was on a quest to become the one or if there was something that he was no he felt like i feel like i, I gotta disagree because yeah the, i feel like the the most interesting part of this movie is when he decides to go save morpheus um so he says morpheus believed in something and i believe mm-hmm. in something too that i can bring him back and this is, this is kind of to reflect something that happens early in the movie when uh, morpheus is training him he says um I can't remember exactly, but he says something about how he, he has to know that he can do it. It can't just think that he can do it. Um, so it's like having this undying belief in what he uh, can accomplish mm-hmm. is really what drives him to become the one, to fulfill his destiny in a way. Um, I do I really like that. I like that kind of development as Neo, you know, because he, he doesn't really get a lot of opportunities to do things. He is kind of just following everybody and just kind of, you know, listening. Um, but at that point, he makes that crucial decision to go back and save Morpheus. And then once he's put in that moment of crisis, that's when his powers are revealed. Yeah, that is a good point, because especially with the way things kind of were just happening to him previous, it, it does add extra weight when he finally is able to make a decision and to, you know, when it is up to him. Yeah, uh, which is also when he becomes the one. So I guess that does make a lot of sense. And um, uh, this kind of brings up one of my favorite themes in media, which is determination versus determinism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like this idea that you can overcome your destiny. I feel like the movie Gattaca really exemplifies this perfectly, where somebody who's you think can't accomplish something because they're not genetically superior or like you like they have a predestination to failure or something like that. They overcome that through pure determination just pure will i really like that idea um and it's something that i kind of believe in in my heart that you know i can do anything if i put my mind to it i can accomplish anything if i just do it and i like seeing that in media so is that in this movie it almost seems like uh that's it's not that you have a predisposition to failure he has a predisposition to success if he just believes it 
I guess. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it gets confusing because it is kind of like this predestination story in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where he's destined to become the one that saves everyone. Um, and then it's like, you know, that's that's what the Oracle says, right? When he knocks over the lamp, she says, would you have done it if I hadn't said anything? Yeah. So that's, you know, it gets really much, like really messy, I think. And uh, I think you just kind of have to, you know, with the continuation of the story, like in the second one, he, Neo rejects the architect and rejects the matrix and, and does the only thing that um, none of the other um, ones had ever done. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of a continuation of this story where he, you know, doesn't accept his fate. He says, I, I, I can do it. You know, I believe it. But in doing that, he actually does accept his fate. Is that, that even makes sense? Yeah. No, and it, and it does get a little bit muddy, but I think that's also part of what makes it so intriguing is because it's, it's not just surface level. There's uh there's a lot to unpack there kind of, well, actually speaking of the multiple, the ones, do sure. they reference that in this movie? Not because, at all. Because uh, not, well, do they? Because well, actually kind Morpheus of. Morpheus talks about how they had been kind of awakened to the matrix and Morpheus talked about how someone had shown them that, but then he died. And then there's the prophecy that he would return again. Right. Well, so, I think, um, now is as good of a time as any to bring up the Jesus symbolism. Okay, yes. Which is, I think actually... what that's more explicitly talking about. Um, I, I suppose you're right. That is exactly like that makes sense narratively. But I feel like when they were making this movie, it was more they were more making that reference to, um, more closely represent Christianity. Okay, and it definitely does. It's very it, you know it's a very strong parallel to uh christianity yeah and and there's like i mean there's so many things not just like neo's death and rebirth i mean that happens like like that happens like in the exposition but that also happens literally in the movie where he's killed and then comes back to life um but also that he's the chosen one who has to like make great sacrifice for the great like for the the good of humanity yeah exactly and i mean even at the beginning in some of the dialogue the guy says you're my savior man my own personal jesus christ (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> and of right. course i i person- totally missed that i felt i felt i felt like the guy who said that he's like uh like a <laughs> hacked pro like software like junkie he's the guy who's like oh jesus man you know like he's he just happens to be heavily christian but also he's just like really into messed up software he's just he's always playing rom hacks yeah well those those hacks are supposed to be drugs right that's the I don't, I don't know. It doesn't. That's that is weird, right? You guys don't look like he has those girls with him, and they have like those weird piercings that like goes from her nose to her ear and stuff. I don't know. Okay, and also, can we talk about how maybe they had like a previous relationship, but it kind of seemed like Keanu Reeves. I guess I should say Anderson and uh, the the guy who was selling the hack software to. They yeah. seemed like they had a pretty regular like drug dealer relationship it's like sure. you give me money i give you the stuff we're paying for and we pretend we don't know each other and he was like they even said it's like hey if you get caught with that yeah yeah you don't exist do you want to go out in public together <laughs> 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 and it just i'm like okay and, and, and I, like you kind of miss that because it is such an intriguing way that they start this thing because yeah. it's like follow the white rabbit which is right. a alice in wonderland reference and i'm not i'm not trying to shit on all that but i just <laughs> thought it was funny that that's how they that's the guy who gets him out of the house uh, yeah 
the guy that he, he doesn't want to be seen with. Yeah. Yeah. And like Keanu Reeves is all dusty from sleeping at his desk all day. And like the, the, the party girls that are with this guy are like, yeah, he looks like fun. He should come along, you know? Yeah. And of the, course, of course, were, everyone does, was talking about how good Keanu looks in this movie. Like even Cypher's like, oh, there's big, pretty eyes. <laughs> that's like, true a very pretty looking guy and yeah the girls were checking him out and they're like yeah bring him along well yeah but and then he does what you'd expect a like computer dweller to do at a club he Hide stands the stairs. near the <laughs> yeah he he like stands near the wall just stares around until uh you know until he meets trinity there right well i mean that brings it back trinity is the one who saves him trinity of course says many as, as that word means something and uh, Catholicism and Christianity, the Trinity of the God, Son, and Holy Spirit. So yeah, bring I bring that back. But oh, to- but, okay, let's go back to his um, uh, what's it? To his apartment. Did you notice the book that he was hiding the um, the software in those little no. chips? It was a copy of Simulacra and Simulation by John Baudrillard. I think I said that right. He's a French philosopher, um, and he wrote this book um, a while back. Okay. About this kind of thing. But basically, it's about how symbols and symbolism create a collective world and how, like, things, like, become symbols and then lose their meaning. I feel like, I, I, I don't know, I haven't read the book or anything, I'm just reading it on Wikipedia, but basically, the, this makes me think of, like, the search bar in Google, mm-hmm. how, like, it, it used to say search and now it's like a magnifying glass and how the symbol of the magnifying glass has become something other than what it originally was. And it's like almost lost its meaning entirely. Yeah, I feel it. I think that's what this is kind of talking about. And it's about how symbols create a like a collective language that allows us to talk to each other. And I think that's kind of what the Matrix is kind of supposed to be too. Interesting. Well, is that does that go along with how the, like regular people see the Matrix and it's all just green numbers, just like symbols, and but they see it as like something. Like yeah, they, that's. They, that's a really good point. I think I think you're right. It is kind of like that, um, where like the symbols be like transform into like something meaningful, and mm-hmm. you, you, but you have to project that meaning onto it. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, good catch, Joey. I actually didn't pay attention to that. I was just paying attention to the craftsmanship of how he carved it out uh, nice, on the yeah. inside because that's not as easy as it looks. Like have you tried to do that before? Hollowing out a book? No, but I've seen somebody who try like someone try to do it and it didn't go well i mean yeah but uh, i think there's i think there's a smart way to do that i think you have to glue the pages together that's what you have to do and then you cut it out that way you can't okay. just do it with the pages do apart. you don't just take it you just, just don't take a, a huge knife you just have to ruin stab the whole around book. like you, you you have to totally sacrifice this book it's not like you can save chapter one you know <laughs> just in case i get bored yeah i'm gonna read half this book that i tore the other pages out of just get a second copy <laughs> so okay wait, one, one of the things so now, now back in the club with trinity when she comes up to talk to him yeah one of the things that i thought was interesting was neo the uh like cis white male like uh, subscriber to the patriarchy thought that trinity would be a guy <laughs> oh yeah i mean i don't know i i think this is interesting too i, I i've heard this criticism before of the matrix and uh, movies that kind of follow a similar format where um, it's like this guy who doesn't know anything. He just kind of shows up and he's like the perfect guy, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, if for all, in, like, if everything was equal, Trinity would be so much better, like, candidate for the one, really. Because she's trained in everything he's done. She knows the world that he's going to be in. She's like, you know, 
she's a hacker as well you know she knows everything about the matrix and like how it works and everything and she's super skilled you know uh-huh. she can dodge agents like a motherfucker um, just like she did in the opening scene which, which is was really awesome really scene. cool yeah so like it's interesting that like i like that I, I like that you know there's like this new guy and he's like the one there's a prophecy and stuff but it does kind of take away from the fact that like the other characters in this movie are also like really cool and like do a lot of good stuff and help your the main character more than like he helps himself. Mm-hmm. No, and I I, I don't know because you can take it a couple ways. You can be like you can say that Neo saying that I thought you would be a guy is just perpetuating the stereotype that like only men can be good at computers. But I sure. like to take it as like at this point Neo doesn't know anything. And Trinity and is like, oh, I thought you'd be a guy. And Trinity's like, no, I'm like a girl. I'm totally like amazing at what I did, that I do, and I'm a girl. And like that happens, you know. So it's like <laughs> that Tr- happened. Yeah, well, Tr- Trinity shows herself to be extremely competent throughout this movie. She's not the chosen one, and she can still survive and do some of the stuff that Neo does. True. So I think that uh, she, she does kill an agent at one point. Yeah, she shows she shows up on behalf of women in this movie. Not that I feel like this movie is trying to make much of a statement on gender relations or anything, gender identity or anything no. like that. But um, in this situation, I think it might be, and I think the statement they're saying is, uh, you know, girls are are kick ass too. Trinity's pretty kick ass. Um, yeah, maybe this is just like the first upset in Neo's reality, right? This is the first twist. Um, before like the really big one. Oh yeah, I actually wrote that down too. Is that the patriarchy is part of the simulation? <laughs> like, <laughs> it, like the computers invented the patriarchy. Like in uh, it's in, the Matrix. The yeah. computers did it. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So, um, um, but yeah, so she's there to talk to uh, Neo, yep. and he's like, "How do you know that name?" And she asks him, or she says she's gonna answer the question, "What is the Matrix?" That's why. Right. right it says uh it's the question that drives us neo it's the question that brought you here you know the question just as i did what is the matrix yes and i love the way that they say this because they're almost talking to you the audience yeah because you don't know anything that's going on yet it's like the matrix itself is a pretty like different world from the outside like as a viewer for the first time you're yeah. trying to figure out exactly what they're what saying is what the is the matrix so yeah, i, I really like the really they... builds up that like the, the the vagary of it really builds up the tension. Yes. The answer is out there, Nero. It's looking for you, and it will find you if you want it to. Yes. So I, I think they do a great job of setting that up, and it's part of the reason why I think people are, feel so um, like th- th- they're so endearing to this movie because of the way that it immerses you in the world as you are introduced to it. Yeah, and I feel like now is as good a time as any to bring up like the other big allegory that this. Um, movie is talking about which is um, the allegory of the cave uh, which is Plato's famous story from the Republic I don't know if you're familiar with that I am not familiar oh good because then I can tell you all about it nice Um, so I've heard this in the book that I I read uh, which is that the matrix in philosophy there's a bunch of different um, essays in there Um, but one of the essays by William Irwin he says that uh, the Matrix is a retelling of the greatest story ever told, uh, referencing the biblical stuff, but it's also a, a retelling of the greatest story never told, uh, which is the allegory of the cave, the story of Socrates, specifically. Why is that the greatest story never told? 
I don't know because it's really well known, but I think it's just like a cool line. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it, it's this idea that the world you live in isn't real. Um, and it's I mean this is something that the ancient Greeks uh, talked about and about how, like how. The, the idea of bringing yourself to the light, that, that whole phrase comes from this allegory. And let, let me retell it for you right now. Okay. So starting in the imprisonment of the cave, um, these prisoners are chained up so their legs and necks are fixed, forcing them to gaze at the wall in front of them and not look around at the cave, each other, or themselves. Behind the prisoners is a fire, and between the fire and the prisoners is a raised walkway with a low wall, behind which people walk around carrying objects or puppets of men and other living things. The people walk behind the wall so their bodies do not cast shadows for the prisoners to see, but the objects they carry do, just as a puppet showman has screens in front of them at which they work their puppets. The prisoners cannot see any of the things that are happening behind them. They are only able to see the shadows cast upon the cave wall in front of them. The sounds of the people talking echo off the walls, and the prisoners believe these sounds come from the shadows. And the shadows uh, uh, for these prisoners are reality, and because they have never seen anything else, they do not realize that the shadows of the objects are are uh, the shadows are of objects that are in front of the fire. But they're not even real objects; they're just you know objects inspired by real things that are outside the cave. Okay, so it continues. Says Plato. Plato uh, says that one of the prisoners is freed. The prisoner will look around and see the fire. The light will hurt his eyes and make it difficult for him to see objects casting the shadows. If he were told that he is seeing is real instead of what the other version of reality sees in the wall, he would not believe it. In his pain, Plato continues, the freed prisoner would turn away and run back to where he was accustomed, that is, the shadows of the carried objects. It would hurt his eyes and he would escape by turning away to the things which he was able to look at, and these would be this he would believe to be clearer than what is being shown to him. And then suppose that someone drags him by force up the rough, rough ascent, the steep way up, and never stops until he drags him out into the light of the sun. The prisoner would be angry and in pain, and it would only worsen when the radiant light of the sun overwhelms his eyes and blinds him. Slowly, as his eyes adjust to the light of the sun, he can only see shadows. Um, but gradually, as he can see reflections of people and things in water, and later he sees the people and the things themselves. Eventually, he is able to look at the sun and the moon and the stars, um, and he can even look straight at the sun and be able to reason what it is. And that's the source of basically everything. Um, and then, when he once he does this, he kind of goes back to the cave. He says um, the the freed prisoner would think that the world outside the cave was superior to the world he experienced in the cave. He would bless himself with the change and pity the other prisoners that would want and want to bring those guys back into the sun. The returning prisoner, whose eyes had been accustomed to the sunlight, would be blind when he re-enters the cave, just as he was when he was first exposed to the sun. The prisoners would infer from the returning man's blindness that the journey out of the cave had harmed him, and they would not undertake a similar journey. And then the prisoners, if they were able, would therefore reach out and kill anyone who tempt to drag them out of the cave, too. Wow. So, uh, I feel like the symbolism in this movie is pretty obvious when you talk about this um, allegory, uh, because especially the the light simili- uh, similarities. Um, like in in the allegory, Plato says that the light is knowledge. Right, you're exposing yourself to new things. The being dragged out of the cave is education. Um, so, you know, when you learn something new and it 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 doesn't jive with what you previously believed you get it hurts you know you feel betrayed you feel wrong but eventually when you come to accept that you or like the truth or what's more true you 
you, you see that as better. And when you try to tell other people about it, sometimes it doesn't go so well. Um, and yeah, in the movie, Neo sees the light from the uh, ship when he gets flushed out of the um, the uh, the tube after he gets rescued from the Matrix. Uh, that's yeah. blinding him. And Morpheus, of course, says, uh, or Neo asks, uh, why do my eyes hurt? And Morpheus says, it's because you've never used them, which I feel like is a direct uh, uh, reference to the allegory of the cave. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's interesting, too, because once the guys, once everyone in the Morpheus's crew returns to the Matrix, they're hunted like criminals. They're hunted like dogs. But um, really, they're the ones that are most free. They're the ones trying to save everyone. Um, and everyone else sees them as outcasts, as, you know, parts of, you know, the society and everything. Like, like Agent right. Smith, when he's interrogating Neo, he says, like, these guys, you don't understand. They're terrorists, you know? Like, you can't trust them. Um, he's trying to get into his head and tell him that, like, you can't trust these guys that are obviously, you know, running from the law. They're not, they're not um, worthy of your respect. Well, especially talking about how uh, in the allegory, if they, like, they would attack or try to kill anybody who would bring them out. Morpheus basically says that yeah. when he's talking about when they're in the simulation, when they see the lady in the red dress, uh, the woman in the red dress, because he's like, some people have been in here so long, that's all they know. They're so accustomed to it that they are also our enemy. Even though they're the ones who are trying to free, yeah. they are also our enemy because they're too far gone, uh, just too immersed at that point. Right. Um, but so. Yeah, which is terrifying in a way, but also really interesting. Um, and the, the allegory, I feel like, is present in a lot of things, not just in this explicit, like, non-reality, real-world real um, scenario, you know, yeah. I, I think um, Plato is talking about philosophy uh, specifically when he's talking about the allegory of the cave and how people who study philosophy are actually out in the sunlight and people who don't understand it reject it and say, you know, like think that philosophers are crazy. Um, but really, they're just um, so blind to the way they think that they can't appreciate someone else's new perspective. Wow, this is such a what is this called? The allegory of the cave? That's right. Written like 2000 years ago. <laughs> it's very relevant. Yeah, so um, I really like that uh, thing, and I and ever since I learned about that, I think about that all the time, especially in relation to this movie. I feel like that this movie more re more closely represents the allegory of the cave than it does anything biblical. Agreed. Well, because I, I think that like Neo being a Christ story is definitely you know sh a strong similarity. Yeah. But I I'm not sure how much further it goes beyond that. Um, you know, besides some of the other things like Trinity and, and a few more, but, um, yeah. so, well, what, well, one more thing about the, the, um, the Bible similarities or Bible references, mm -hmm. the name of the ship, Nebuchadnezzar, um, it's, it says Mark three, number 11 on the <sighs> ship, which is a reference to a Bible verse, which I have written here. It says, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God which is almost wow. exactly what happens at the end of the movie. <laughs> ah, so so much depth here, Joe. You've really done your homework. Thanks. <laughs> so, uh, I guess moving forward, when we were... Uh, well, eventually, uh, Neo's in the office, right? Yeah. And, 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 we, and we get shown that even in the simulation, FedEx and Nokia both exist. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, I think this is interesting how, like, it's so powerful that the Matrix is our world, right? You know, this isn't... 1999. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's exactly when. It, it's not, like, um, some made-up thing, right? Like, it, that, I feel like that story would work almost 
better in a way like if like the real world is what we live in now and then the matrix was a simulation that everyone who was in this matrix thinks is real but it's a more powerful image if the world we think we live in is the simulation yeah you see what i'm saying right um so like that that twist becomes so much bigger because it goes meta right you start thinking about yourself and thinking about whether you're living in a simulation what year is this movie from 1999 Right. Okay. So it, it's yeah. Okay. That's extremely really, meta. Yeah, referencing exactly the year. So, um, which I love how um, Agent Smith. I think he refers to it as the peak of your civilization was right. 1999. I think that's funny. In retrospect, can we say that that's true? Before memes. <laughs> yeah. Is it, can it really be the peak of peak of human civilization without <laughs> memes? Um, well, and then so so this leads up to Neo getting having to duck in between cubes in the office and yeah, like then eventually he has to make the decision to try to get onto the scaffold or to leave the building in the arms of the agents the agent. yeah um he can't, he can't do it right before that though um i really like the scene where he opens up the package and he pulls out the phone and then the phone rings as soon as he touches it i love that so much because like it doesn't make any sense to you if you don't know what's happening right but it makes perfect sense later when you know that they can always see what he's doing yeah um so in that moment he's just so freaked out because the phone just rings as soon as he gets it i love that it is and, a yeah. neat little phone too that has like the sliding the bottom of it slides open it's like whoosh, kind of whips it out I wish uh, I wish I had those still. Wish I had slide I, out keyboards. Sometimes I, I I wish that my like touchscreen phone had physical buttons. Like sometimes I do. It, so, I wish better. that every day. I am so bad at typing with a physical with a virtual touch keyboard. I hate it so yeah. much. And also, do you remember how long phones that didn't do anything but texting and calling lasted? Like multiple days. It was nice. <laughs> I guess. Oh, you mean like the, battery life? Well, I, I think guess it meant the, like the as a technology. It was like, yeah, and then we had the giant brick phones, and then we had the texting and uh, you know phones <laughs> for like two days, and then the iPhone came out, <laughs> and now that's it, where we are. It, it does feel like that too, um, but I did. I I guess if I didn't like use my phone for anything but texting and calling, it probably would also last that long. But <laughs> I use it for a bunch of other stuff. So um, that's true. So, yeah, so Neo has to decide if he wants to get on the scaffold or uh, get arrested. Yeah. And at that point, he really doesn't know what's going on so much. And it's, I, I think it's realistic for him to not do something where he, feel like he feels like he might die uh, just off of a phone call that he received from a FedEx package. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's super weird, right? And, like, how does he even know this is Morpheus and, like, what's even happening? I mean, it's so it's so strange. And... um. I, I don't I have a, don't have it written down exactly, but it seemed like Morpheus said like neither of these options are good. Like either take yeah. the scaffolding or get arrested. Either way, you're not gonna be happy. Um, so I don't know. I feel like it worked out pretty well though because he didn't fall to his death, and then they got that thing out of him pretty quickly. Even though that was that's like one of the scariest scenes. Yes. Oh well. <laughs> the yeah. So let's talk about the interrogation scene because yeah. first off, another cool transition. This movie has a lot of cool transitions. Oh yeah. And uh, this one, it like had the security camera footage from the interrogation room, and the ca- like the movie camera gets closer and closer and closer to it until it becomes the security camera, and then it becomes another movie camera inside the room as it lowers towards Neo. So very cool. Just an awesome transition. (laughs) Uh, And then we get to see one of the more terrifying scenes in the movie where they mess with uh, Neo's mouth. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. His mouth just like gets like, well, I guess Neo is so 
badass with his like like how okay how about this because they're asking him to like sell out give you the, like, the how finger. about i give you the finger and he gives him the the middle finger down there and he's like and and then i get my phone call and and then the, the agents come back at him with the with the very witty like what like what's Why the good of a you... phone call if you like, can't speak <laughs> and he's like what and his mouth like gets mushed over that's like yeah, that's terrible. So, why do you yeah. feel like the agents have a? They seem to have a personality. You know, is that just a? Well, I don't know. Like, Agent Smith has a personality. Yes, I would say. Okay, yeah, I'd go with that too. Agent Smith has a personality. Why do you think that is? Is that a result of artificial intelligence that you develop a personality? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. I I was really paying attention to Hugo Weaving's performance in this. He's plays. Oh, he's uh, great. Agent Smith. And he's the, amazing. With the, uh, the he's so amazing. um what is it timbre no not timbre what what is it called like the way you speak his uh Inti- like just not intonation right intonation right like, no I, i'm talking about just like the the rhythm the, yeah kind of the rhythm of his voice when he's being uh agent smith yeah is so unique to agent smith and it's it's great the way that he plays that character because it's it's not human mr but anderson it, it, but it is similar to it, it's it's such a good interpretation of a artificial intelligence pretending to be a human. like the dinosaur you <laughs> had your time now it's our time um yeah i like you see him kind of go crazy near the end right he he wants to leave the matrix he feels the matrix is a prison because he knows it is a prison for humans and he has yeah. to live here with us he's like a prison guard right prison guards are almost all in prison too so <laughs> um like I like that kind of development, and like, but they do talk about how they're they're uh, sentient programs, right? Uh, which yes. I interpret to mean not just self-aware, but like in- independent. Yeah. Um. So yeah, to answer your question originally about why you think they have personalities is because they are like people in a way. Um, they're just tasked with this, you know, awful job of. Well, sure. Well, in, in that case, chalk another one up for AI as far as like w- their claim to Earth, because uh, <laughs> it would be really boring if their whole point was just to uh, to just you know c- complete a circuit and just mm. exist. But it does seem like they are sentient and living. So I guess that adds to the argument for why we should be their food, uh, which <laughs> which I guess yeah. I, I guess are their energy source. But, that is their food, though. Okay, so let's it. okay let's talk about this too, because we we get obviously we get to see the tr- like the tra- tr- tracking device get put in his stomach. Yeah. That like nasty little guy that goes bugged. in his belly button. He gets bugged, which in a very literal sense, mm. and uh, which is gross. And he doesn't think it's in there, but it is. And they pull it out when they're in the car. When yeah. he first gets in the car with uh, Trinity and the rest of the resistance people, uh, just switch an APOC. Yes, switch an APOC. Switch, is it Switch? Yeah, Switch points a gun at him, and she's like, to protect us from you, yeah. because yeah, we don't know. And uh, well, she says, she says, uh, hold on, what is it? Well, she calls him Copper Top, and, which they don't really draw a lot of attention to, but she calls him that because she's referring to him as a battery, because he oh. used to be a battery, or, or at least he, actually he is still in this situation, because I haven't freed him yet, so... She calls him copper top because, you know, like the top of yeah, Duracells yeah. are copper. And then, yeah, so, Morpheus actually shows him a Duracell battery. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I didn't yeah. catch that. That's really clever. Well, and the thing is, while it is clever, I think one of the like one of the more popular criticisms of this movie is that they went with batteries over like 
like using humans as batteries over using humans as like processing power because it doesn't really make sense to use humans for for energy because sure. it takes so much energy to keep humans alive yeah so you're not really it, like there's no way that that equation makes sense that you're getting enough out of humans to uh make it work i mean overall the idea of it works if you don't think about it too hard um it it's it, it works well yeah but like that specific thing like if they were using them for anything else right still slaves exactly and that's the point is that the like we've we've been enslaved by our own creation so i don't want to focus on it too hard uh but it does make me roll my eyes just a little bit yeah uh, I, I was kind of thinking about that but i again like i don't know that that i feel like the point is really clear mm-hmm. more so than the actual execution because yeah like i don't know the people who wrote this movie aren't necessarily computer scientists they're just philosophers really sure yeah, and, so. and again, yeah, I don't want to focus on it too much, but I will mention Bring it, it up. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, no, that was good. And yeah, I didn't think about that until you just said it, but she says we had to protect ourselves from you because he could become an agent at any moment. I didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me until just now. Very cool. So then we get led to Morpheus, and we have the ever-famous red, red pill, red blue pill, pill scene. Blue pill. These days when I hear red pill, I never, I almost, like the Matrix is the last thing that comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, that's like an example of the simulacra, actually, of how a symbol has transformed, just gone past its original thing to mean something completely different. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, I, have you seen that documentary, The Red Pill? No, about, I haven't. Um, uh, it's about this woman who's like, she's a feminist, and by the end of the movie, she, the documentary, she claims she's not a feminist anymore. She interviews all these um, men's rights activists. Wow. It was interesting. She's... I saw it. Um, it it really convinced me that we need feminism. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> See, is yeah. that taking the blue pill? Is that what that means? I have, I don't know what that means. I, does it I, take the, yeah, I don't know if the I metaphor think, extends that far. I think the red pill is supposed to be like, you know, men are oppressed, but like, I mean, the answer, the answer, like, yes, they are in certain very specific ways, but um, the way to combat that is to give everyone equal rights including women and men so well said I, yeah that's well all i have to said. say about that yeah and but the, uh, despite that those symbols being so heavily associated with this movie i don't think that's what this movie is about in any no. way really <laughs> so someone uh, else took that yeah yeah <laughs> so um so so yeah so he's talking about how this is a prison for your mind sure and he and he tells neo that he's only giving him the truth that's all he's that's all he can offer him sure uh, doesn't want to <laughs> oversell it and yeah neo goes for he, it he takes the pill yeah, okay, so uh, the obvious question is, would you take the red pill or the blue pill, Ben? Uh, it depends. It depends. It depends on because what? It depends on what my life is like before I find out about the pills, dog. Like, if, I'm, <laughs> if I am rich and famous, my life is awesome, and yeah. they're like, hey, what if we told you that this is all a lie? Yeah. And I would be like, I sure hope not, you know? But if I've got my boring job and I've, I can't even, you know, I've got narcolepsy, so I'm falling asleep at my desk when I'm supposed to be waiting on my guy to show up and buy drugs for me, you know, maybe then I'd be like, yeah, you know, forget this oh, okay. life. I'll see what else there is. Like, that's know? a specific example. But, yeah, no, that's, that's Neo. Yeah. That's what Neo did. Yeah, so I'm, I guess I would like to be able to say that, yeah, I'll challenge my own, the nature of my own reality. But realistically, I think I, I might not. Not, yeah, I don't know. I'm um, not a hero. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I feel like I would, I feel like that's a pretty good answer, and I think I kind of agree with you. Um, you know, with somebody who does take the blue pill is Cipher, um, and some really interesting essay in in this book 
Um, this one was written by Gerald Era and Barry Smith. These, they argue that Cypher is a hedonist, and any amateur philosophist or fu- fan of Futurama knows what a hedonist is. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although, he's he's a lot milder than hedonism bot as far as his uh, love for hedonism. I, I don't think once we ever hear him go, and like <laughs> eat grapes from, straight from the vine. Like That so. is the ultimate in hedonistic yeah you're probably I'm, right i'm a fan of hedonism i i think there's some merit yeah? to it uh yeah okay because... well let me ask you this question right yeah. this is the best argument against hedonism that okay. i found and that that they argue in the book i would love to hear it because i feel like hedonism is destructive in my life so okay, this would... <laughs> is actually a really this is a really specific example but and it does work with the matrix well but it's not the same thing as the matrix okay. um so imagine there's this thing called the experience machine and it's um, this thing that you can plug into, and it gives you the experience of anything you want. You can uh-huh. become a rock star. You can, um, you know, watch The Matrix a thousand times in a row. You can okay. go skydiving. You can do anything you can possibly imagine um, in this machine. But there's no real-world consequences, and you know that you're plugged into the machine. Okay. So if you're a pure... Okay, so the answer is, before I taint your answer, what wait, wait, would wait, you, would wait. you what plug the into the machine? The, the question is, would you plug into the machine, and for how long? Oh, I guess, I don't know. It sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. I, like, I think I would try to do that at least for things that uh, I couldn't possibly do in real life. Right, which is kind of my answer, too, is, like, if I wanted to ride a dinosaur or pretend I was a vampire or something. Like, I would even I would even cut out like I might even toe the line for reality and just do stuff that I'd rather not do in reality, like play football. Like I would like mm. I would I just maybe a potential I could do that in real life. I could also potentially like get brain damage. Bones. Yeah, get bone yeah, brain damage. Um, same thing like snowboarding and stuff sure. like that. So uh, I think that would be cool, but I- I'm guessing that there there's something dangerous about well, saying yes at all, right? Well, because no, not exactly. It's it's more like like why wouldn't you ever unplug, right? Like, if it gives you every every experience you could possibly want, any all, none, nothing bad, always good, right? And sure. you you don't have to worry about food or anything. Like, the thing takes care of it or whatever it needs to do, right? You're in uh-huh. there for as long as you want to be. Why would you ever unplug? Would you ever unplug? Yeah, I guess that's that's a good question. Too. Can I, is it multiplayer? Can I? Can um, I no, there's no consequences. There's no there's no outside consequences, so there's okay. no multiplayer. Okay, yeah, and consequences would also be like other people experiencing Interact it or with remembering other people. it. Yeah, yeah, okay. That, yeah, I think that would be the thing that would make me want to not stay in there forever is potentially missing out on people. But I guess part of like inventing any experience would be inventing a lifetime of good times with my friends. Exactly. Uh, and I could just ignore the real friends I have and just develop this relationship with the fake ones forever. Yep. So that does definitely sound dangerous. Yeah. So, <laughs> so okay, but yeah, so it's, it's not necessarily dangerous. I mean, like they argue that hedonism itself is um, immoral for this exact reason, because it is, it has no consequence. There's no, you're wasting potential essentially. That's what hedonism says. But the idea that you would ever hesitate, the idea that you wouldn't immediately plug into the experience machine forever, proves that hedonism is not the ultimate goal. And that we as humans don't just seek pleasure, which is what mm-hmm. hedonism is. We seek meaningful experience. We, ex- we seek something with purpose. We have to have a meaning for our lives more so than just hitting that dopamine button as much, po- as, much as possible. 
Um, and I, yeah, I agree with that. Obviously, I think that the experience machine is a dangerous road to go down um, because you can get addicted to it, or you know, you could lose sight of what is really important, and then eventually, you know, you know, never experience anything real. It, which is kind of a, a weird way of thinking about it because, like, you could make it real if you wanted to, but it's more so about having an impact on the world. Yeah, I guess it just. It, it would be just as good as doing something real. At the very least, it just devalues your stake in the real world. Like, you, you might not think... If, what's the hmm. difference between accomplishing something in the real world, what we consider real, and accomplishing something in there? Uh, if well, that's, you, if both that's very equally... existential of you, but yeah, that, I get your, <laughs> your point. I mean, it just... I don't know if it matter if anything matters at that point, because you've got these you know endless possibilities within this fake world, you know? Yeah, if but, it's, like, you, you can have a real impact, like that you take that opportunity away from yourself if you never even try. Right. But I guess, yeah, I, I am, I am digging to you. Cause I, I guess my argument to that would be like, who's, who's to say that what we're doing right now is real. If the thing in there feels real, just as real as this, you know, enough yeah. to make me want to stay in there forever. Yeah. Who's to say that what I'm in right now isn't just as valid or less valid because, uh, it might be just another simulation there, but we could go on and on with that. That's true. And I think we can get to box. that too, but it, I do think that's interesting. And, um, I think the matrix and the cipher's decision kind of reflects that too, in that it's, um, he does choose the hedonist lifestyle. You know, <clears throat> he goes back to be rich and famous. Excuse me. <clears throat> yes. And I, I like, I like that he does do that because, uh, it's an interesting question to bring up and obviously a a, a, uh, a twist you know a betrayal including that but overall i think that he's an idiot i think cypher is very stupid for having made, the, made this choice um a, a, a smarter way to go would have to uh commit suicide to just kill mm. yourself because you so? yes i don't believe the why on earth would the agents keep their promise to him well it doesn't matter why wouldn't they because he's not going to remember any of that stuff. He's essentially so. ending his life anyways. There's like to betray everybody he's with. Yeah. So that he can basically stop existing and start a new existence that he's not even sure is going to happen. Sure. Is not and for me I I think that you know, maybe it's one way to go, but it's so unlikely that at the end of the day you're being you're doing more to be a dick to the rest of the people on the spaceship than you are for your own good. But it, okay, I, I agree that he shouldn't have murdered people. But do you really think that, like, I don't know, the, the, I, don't, I don't see that opportunity being unlikely. You know, I don't think it's hard for them to plug them back into the Matrix. I don't know? think it's hard for them to get another battery. Yeah, what there's one more. Why, why does it even matter? I don't know. I, the, that's like the logistics of this. <laughs> yeah, fair I don't enough. Know. I, I just don't, I, I, like, from what yeah. I've seen for, the, like, the the way that the machines treat humans in this, sure. I don't see it being likely that they'd nicely scoop up Cypher, bring him all the way to whatever plantation he was at before, <laughs> plug him back in, you know? I know that you have muscles and your eyes work and all that stuff now, but it's chill. And also, we're going to, like, work hard to make sure that your life is perfect. Nah, yeah. dude, he's on the next He's on the next uh, water slide to the dump. With the rest of the dead people, and they don't care as long as they do, they've squashed the rebellion. That's They're so, robots. Yeah. They're not there to make their little Sims world perfect. And now they've got a new special character. Mm. They they would just he's done with the rest of them. And I don't know what makes him think that they would have a soft spot for him. 
for betraying his his people. Maybe he sees that. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I realize that his his situation is pretty grim. He's pretty much given up. But uh, I I think it's you can't just say he's scared. He wants to go back, and he's really into hedonism. I think he's also a dick. Sure. I know. I you know I agree with that. Um, and well said. I think. Yeah. Okay. So what, let's transition to something else. So Cipher, when he once he betrays the team, they say like, "Oh, you know, we set you free." You know, and he says, "You call this free?" Um, which I great. He line. Does, yeah, he, and, he does bring up a good point. And I think that kind of brings into this next like situation, which we were we kind of hinted at a little earlier, which is, are we in a simulation right now, and how do we know? Yes. Uh, well, well, real quick, just so I can slide this in. Sure. Uh, because you just said a pretty good cipher line, and I have a I can counter that with a pretty bad cipher line. Good. When <laughs> when they're waking Neo up and like exposing the truth to him, uh, <laughs> he goes he like because uh, they strap Neo in or whatever. They like he, after he takes the red pill and he's about to touch the mirror and all that. Sure. Cipher says, "Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye bye." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I hate you already, Cipher." <laughs> um, before he yeah. had even done anything wrong, That's so funny. which, um, but okay, he sh- yeah, he should have been he should be killed just for his bad lines. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's go back to our our um, ancient philosophers, not our ancient philosophers, our classic philosophers. Yes. Um, let's go back to um, Descartes, Rene Descartes, um, who was a French philosopher, and uh, don't know what year, sixteen forty one. Um, he wrote this book called uh, Meditations on First Philosophy, and the first one, uh, the first section of that is called Meditation One, concerning those things that can be called into doubt. And basically, he makes the argument that it, what he tries to do um, is determine what he can know for sure is real, hmm. and he determines that basically nothing. Um, he says, like, what about my senses, right? Like. All the things I see, the things I touch and everything, I, well, there are times I've been wrong. There's times when I thought I smelled something when it wasn't that. Thought I, times I tasted something that wasn't what I actually tasted. When, I, when I'm dreaming, I hear and see things that aren't real. How do I know I'm not dreaming right now? And he, sa- and he goes one step farther. He says, how do I know that the reality that I know and all the laws of physics and everything that I've studied for my life uh, aren't the result of some evil intelligence specifically tricking me into believing these things for its own personal unknowable whims. Um, and he calls this the malicious demon. Um, and it's, it's this is a really interesting idea um, and eventually leads to the second meditation, which is where he says his famous line, I think, therefore I am, which is where he bases his entire philosophy going forward because it's really the only thing that he can possibly know for sure. But... Wow. Um, the malicious demon thing sounds silly to us now, but when you put it into the context of AI and the context of the Matrix, it really doesn't sound as silly. It'd say, oh, there's some evil intelligence, some evil robots out there that are, you know, making the world as we see it around us to, you know, control us, to keep us as slaves. You know, I feel like Occam's razor comes into it comes in, haze, in handy here and says, you know, we can't assume that. Um, and in fact, the the guys from that essay I, wrote, I mentioned earlier, Gerald Era and Barry Smith, they say, uh, well, they, have, they reference another philosopher, Martin Gardner. He says, the hypothesis that there is an external world is so obviously useful and so strongly confirmed by experience 
down the ages that we can say without exaggerating that it is better confirmed than any other empirical hypothesis. Okay. So Wait, so that's like the, the evidence against a simulation? Yeah, that basically everything points to it not being a simulation. Um, but that doesn't mean that it isn't. Right. Well, there's also the, the it's like a theory or whatever that if like mm. there's like three possibilities, like either uh, a civilization somewhere has gotten the capability to make a simulation, but they decided not to, or that all civilizations are destroyed before they reach the like technological capability of creating a simulation. Or, and this is the one that's more mathematically likely, is that a civilization has developed the technology to create a simulation, and that there's infinite uh, uh, simulations they could be running right now, and we could be inside of one of those. And there's only one reality, and there's the possibility of so many of these simulations that, like, you just mathematically it's way more likely that we're in a simulation right uh, that, because it's way more it's way easier to run a simulated universe than it is to run a actual universe the resources are a lot easier to come by um and yeah i i've also heard that i heard that in a vsauce video a long time ago and that's also echoed by elon musk recently about how we would know we were in a simulation short for elongated muskrat <laughs> that's right, right. Uh, gotta make sure he gives his full name you're right show some respect <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I when I cover this question comes up, it's really I feel trivial in a way. Like it doesn't really matter if we're in a simulation because like if I start acting like we are, that's not going to get me anywhere. And if I act like I don't, then I actually will get somewhere. So if I'm going to weigh the options, say 50% chance I'm in a simulation, 50% chance I'm not in a simulation, I'm going to take my chances to say I'm not and that my actions have meaning. Yeah, I, I don't think it makes a difference. You know, the only way that it would is if you found out you were in a simulation, and that would probably be as a result of you maybe being pulled out of it. That's right. Uh, and right. at that point, you know, at, I think that's the type of thing where you just cross that bridge when you come to it. You know, as Neo does. If you do end up coming out of this simulation, Joey, we definitely should do a podcast about that. that yeah, would be really I, interesting. I will be the first to know. Thanks. I'm going to hold you to that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where were we here? Um, oh, well, okay. okay. Well, I also just want to talk about how training Neo is one of my favorite, like, superheroes getting their superpowers, uh, like, sequences. The way that he's like, I know Kung Fu. And then yeah. uh, Morpheus, like, show me. And Did then you see that the- he also learned uh, how to do drunken boxing? No. <laughs> I like, flashed in the screen real brief. I wish we had seen more of that. That's useful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I liked how, even though he got all those powers, it wasn't like that was just bringing him up to speed. Like getting all the like different fighting styles and knowledge of you know weapons was just bringing him up to speed. That wasn't even becoming the chosen one. It kind of yeah. made being the chosen one that much cooler because he's transcending what these like these other badasses that he rolls with. Yeah, that take like years and years to train, right? Like. If you were to learn how to do kung fu, it would take you so long, but you can learn it in seconds. Yeah, that's definitely a cool power to have. Like that, now that you're like part computer, um, and, and it comes in handy later when Trinity needs to know how to fly a helicopter. That's a really cool scene too. I like that. That pays off so nicely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I like that that scene with Morpheus too because you know he's telling him like the kung fu is cool, but what you really need to know is how to bend the rules of reality. You think that's air you're breathing? <laughs> Well, okay, I, 
there's this really interesting essay that I, I read in this book. Um, it's by this guy named David Nixon. And basically he argues that the, the idea that you, like if you came out of the matrix, like if you were Neo in this situation, you, you suddenly couldn't function as a rational being because Basically, all of the assumptions that you've held up to your point in this life, let's say Neo is 25, you've held all of these assumptions for 25 years about how the world works, about how, uh-huh. how everything works. Yeah. And suddenly, that's not true. Like, suddenly, you all the things that you took for granted also come into question. Um, and that reminded me when he says, um, is that air? You think that's air you're breathing? Like, how do you even know you're air breathing air? Like, how do you know anything at all at this point? Like, it, he basically argues that you wouldn't, be able to function at all like you would have to start completely from scratch and like have no idea how anything works like not how language works not how like people work how like the body works how you eat how you sleep how you use the bathroom all those things come into question when you unveil reality in that like grand fashion do you think that having the simulation be so similar to reality helps that transition I was thinking about that too, about how like how different it could have been, right? Like they didn't yeah. have to look like humans; they could have been spheres, but or it's... like they could have made it so humans don't poop, right? Like you know, and and like they don't have bathrooms in buildings, and suddenly Neo's like, wait, so stuff comes out of me all the time? Like you're telling me that I can't just dump things inside of me and it just that's it? <laughs> yeah, like there's a whole yeah. other half of it. You know, I think that that could be something they could have had, but the fact that they don't have stuff like that, like it seems like 1999 is still pretty similar to three or what was it? 2199 yeah uh the year well that i mean currently... civilization had collapsed so it's not like they had a lot of room for anything. well i guess um yeah i guess it was just the the prospect of just being a living human seemed pretty similar in and out of this uh simulation yeah, i feel like that definitely helps the audience and it definitely helps neo but you're definitely right like those those things that we take for granted that are like part of being a person are suddenly maybe not true right and um yeah, yeah i think your example is really good actually can you imagine if the simulation everybody was like ants or something yeah and right? then they like, come out and they're like what what i'm that? a human I have, like, I have four limbs and i walk on two feet like yeah, yeah. it's all just ridiculous <laughs> so i think that may be what helps him stay grounded and and, and make the transition because obviously it's hard and it makes him what do they call it he like popped something like he threw up uh oh, i don't know well, they, they, they had a word for it, but he, like, threw up after uh, he found out about the Matrix. And yeah. he was like, I don't believe this. Totally uh, I don't believe anyone. So he – I think it's easier to accept that as long as things are that similar inside and out. Yeah. Uh, but I've never thought about potentially – why you know, I, they talk about a little bit what the iterations they went through trying to create the simulated world for right. humans. Um, I wonder if they ever considered – making the humans maybe your brain wouldn't be compatible with being something other than human in there but yeah that certainly makes things easier right to base it off of a real thing than rather than inventing an entirely new thing yeah but um i I like one of the things i really like about this movie is the robots and how strange and alien they look um and i feel like it really makes sense i feel like matrix has a really unique style this kind of cyberpunk i guess yeah yeah they definitely do but like i don't i don't know there's there's not a lot of other movies that kind of have that similar kind of feeling as far as like the robots look and the way like they they move and things because they all are like insects almost um yeah which is kind of interesting i think it's it's cool how like after so many years of 
procedurally generating you know new ideas for robots they've become so distant from what humans can conceive that they look totally alien to us um you know obviously it's a movie but it's i mean i think that's really cool i think that like the way they look so disgusting and, and strange to us is um or uncanny you might even say yeah it's all the more um, terrifying yeah exactly and i think that's like probably accurate because they have advanced continuously while we've been stagnating trying to survive well i think that's a good point to uh take a break real quick so uh we're gonna go and do that but stay with us because we will be uh continuing our conversation on the matrix when when we return it is this feeling that has brought you to me Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work. When you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. <sighs> Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember. All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Follow me. Okay. Um, so there's a few things that they refer uh, that go kind of back to ancient Greek philosophy talking about Socrates specifically in the way that Socrates lived. Um, Socrates, like, Socrates' his death is really famous because he was killed for being an atheist and for corrupting the youth, and his trial is uh, recorded forever in mm -hmm. Plato, by Plato in his uh, work, The Apology, where he uh, Socrates attempts to defend himself. Um, and, of course, they all kill him, and which is kind of a... Uh, reference to the allegory of the cave where he tries to bring philosophy to the masses and the masses say, eh, never mind. We don't need you. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but one of the other references is the Oracle. The Oracle is a famous um, thing in Greek culture, and mm-hmm. Socrates has a run-in with the Oracle. Uh, he goes to the Oracle, and the Oracle, which is famous for saying things very vaguely, tells Socrates that he is the wisest man um, alive. And Socrates think, thinks that the Oracle is crazy because his like main thing, he says this to everyone, he says, I don't know anything. I know nothing. And he goes around trying to find someone wiser to him, wiser than him. But yeah. um, it never works out. Every time he questions someone, he goes to the Socratic method. Method's very famous method of talking to people, where you just basically ask questions until they contradict or you know realize something about themselves. And he would go through this and ask people all these innocent questions, and they would not never be able to keep up with him. And he eventually determined that, yeah, he actually is the wisest man around only because he admits how little he knows. So the Oracle is also plays a really cool role in these movies, um, especially in this one. First of all, we've talked about how she influences Neo's events. Um, Yes. The thing that's written over her her wall um, in Latin. I don't know. I can't speak Latin or but nobody can. But I can't also can't read Latin. So I'm not even going (laughs) to attempt. It says know yourself in Latin. Uh But this is also written um, uh, over the the oracle's tomb, I don't know the, the place where the oracle lives in Athens and ancient Greece. It yeah. also is written, "Know yourself, know thyself" in Greek, um, which is the whole key to understanding the oracle's philosophies, both in this movie and in ancient Greece. If you know yourself, then you can understand what that's meant. Like this famous king goes and says, "Hey, am I going to win this battle?" And the oracle says, "If you go into battle, a great kingdom will be destroyed." And he's like, "Oh, great, so I'll win." But then he goes and his kingdom is destroyed. If he had known himself, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Okay. So I guess anyway. cuz I know that Neo gets told that he's not the one. Right. So, but, but but Morpheus also says, don't think about it as being something right or wrong. Think of it as showing you the path. It's because Neo doesn't try to save himself, because he doesn't believe he is the one, that he says, I need to save Morpheus, because Morpheus is obviously this great dude. You know, he saved me. He saved all these other people. He's a leader. He's a visionary. I need to save him. And he believes that he can, and he does, because he is the one. Right. But if he, he had believed that, but if he had believed that Morpheus's quest was over and that the one had been found, i.e., him, then he, why would he go save him? That's a good point. He says specifically, "I believe I can bring him back." Right. And uh, it's, I don't know if it's the first time, but I feel like it's the first time in the movie where he Neo says, like, explicitly states his beliefs. You know, yeah. As, because that's, he has a lot to question about his own beliefs throughout this movie. That's a really good point, Ben. I uh, one of the things that I did like seeing is I'm always a fan of catching gifs in movies, <laughs> and you definitely oh, I'm so see. I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> well, the, the one I'm referring to is when uh, with the white hair uh, switch is about to be killed, and she says, "Not like this." I love that. I say that to not like all this. the time. Yes, all the time. That's actually <laughs> what like I want to say. On your tombstone? Um, well, <laughs> yeah, on your tombstone. Or if I uh, if I fall down some stairs, that's what I want to say when I realize I'm falling. Like, not like this! <laughs> you can imagine if that was written on somebody's gravestone. It's like, <laughs> like, what happened here? <laughs> not like this? Or just, like, buried alive? Uh, uh, yeah, that's pretty good, though. I like that. I, always think, I thought you were going to mention the, the woe gif. 
There are, there are. I mean, this is very reference to movie. We, you actually sent me a, an edited GIF. Yeah. Was, who was that by the guy who's super good at making all the GIFs? I have no idea, man. I okay, saw that a long time ago, but it was reposted yes. recently. Yeah, I mean the the Reddit. There are redditors are famous for like making GIFs into like Reddit. Uh, references and the one where neo becomes the one and he can see the upvotes in the walls <laughs> and he can it's block the downvotes, which are bullets yes <laughs> it's so good it's so well done like you can see the textures on the little arrows um, so well another thing I, I wanted to bring up was the glitch in the matrix when oh, yeah. they re- when they see the cat twice the deja vu is this where when people say there's a glitch in the matrix this yes. is what they're referring to this movie right that, i feel like that's a pretty common phrase uh or it's at from least this movie yeah okay because that's uh because when they said that it's like it's a glitch in the matrix i i've heard that in real life whenever something weird happens people are like oh it's a it's a glitch in the matrix and it, it, it a direct reference to this movie sure yeah that, that i don't know i that seems interesting i liked how that's kind of they indicate but i feel like it never that never pays off that well i feel like i would have liked to see more glitches in the matrix more like things being edited you know yeah, well, it seemed like the most uh, – yeah, that's true because that one scene is where things got edited the most. If right. the if the agents could really augment the environment at their will when they knew that Trinity was in that building, why would they go in the building? Why wouldn't they just turn the whole building into unbreakable stone or something? Well, they, they can't – I mean, they don't have that much control. They have to obey the same rules that we do. But, like, there's – they well, just remember, contacted the, the, the Matrix no, or whatever. Well, I mean, remember they turned the, the windows into bricks – yeah building. yeah well that was a trap right they knew that they were going to be there cypher set that whole thing up right so so they have that wasn't the agents necessarily that was like the whole system the agents okay. were just acting on so at least that's how i interpret it yeah i guess that makes sense because the the agents are fallible you know they can be killed true well i, I was interpreting it as they the host that they take can be killed hmm because mm. if you remember when Trinity says dodge this and shoots the guy, yeah. doesn't he revert back into a soldier and then he obviously takes over some other person's body too? Um, yeah, so. that's, that's really cool. Um, I like how that kind of comes back. Oh, uh, and that is such a cool thing for your bad guys, uh, for them to just be able to take over anybody's body. Yeah, like uh, that one scene in the uh, in the marketplace when he's mar- when uh, Neo is running through it and the guy's taking over people. Really cool. And, of course, the scene in the second movie. Um, yes, well, in the second movie, they take it to a whole other level because yeah. there's there's not just one Agent Smith. But um, So another thing Agent Smith brings up when he's talking to Morpheus is he says that humans aren't mammals. He makes the argument that yes, humans aren't I have aren't this mammals. whole speech written down. Well, <laughs> I get where he's coming from. It's not – I don't think this is the first movie to say that humans are a plague or a virus. Like that's a – I feel like that's kind of a – like – like humanity's so good at surviving that they're actually like a disease for everything else yeah i guess but also um there's studies that show that as civilizations advance and we get more stability and uh we actually procreate less we don't have as many kids and there's an argument that we could sustain life on our own without destroying the whole world if we do it right yeah, yeah there's a possibility that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we aren't viruses that's a good virus doesn't kill its host. It needs its host to live. We sure. hate viruses because they they take stuff from us. They're just freeloaders, right? And the viruses that kill us are ones that are originally starting in other like other creatures. You know, like mad cow disease is really deadly to humans, but it doesn't really affect cows that much. 
it just it, it, it does well in cows but it yeah. gets into humans it, it's really bad because we're not cows so you know i feel like that's not an argument against that I, his argument is that we're not mammals because we we overuse all our resources and destroy ourselves yeah and i would argue that we have the capability to do that but we also have the capability to not do that that like, doesn't mean that we aren't viruses though well then what <laughs> what, what makes us not mammals though because no, I, I think this is actually a really good argument especially when you're looking at like psychology and and biology and you like we've talked about this before in interstellar but how you have more like bacteria in your gut more cells in your gut that aren't you than you have skin cells or like cells that are you sure um so and like your gut and your stomach actually does influence the way your brain thinks it sends chemicals up to your brain and says hey you're hungry or hey you're depressed because you ate this stupid thing all the <laughs> Like there are subtle ways that your stomach affects your mood and your thought process, and because your stomach is mostly not you, you kind of are bacteria. It's I like to think of humans as a collective, as like, like, not like not like a, the, the whole human like network. Although that is also an argument, but I mean like you <laughs> as a person. Yeah. You think of yourself as an individual, but you're really a collection of a lot of little things. You are so questioning really a lot of like little things that also that humans are bacteria, or humans are viruses because we kind of already are. I guess I'm I'm I, I understand that we can destroy the environment we're in, but I think that uh, it doesn't keep us from being. I think that his argument that we're not mammals is uh, isn't founded. I can get on board with saying that we are also a disease, maybe that we're a virus and we're a plague on whatever we're near. But we're just we're still mammals. We're just the best at being mammals. Other mammals would be a disease. The best at be. everything out of anyone. That's true. <laughs> Represent. I uh, <laughs> and it, well, and then he argues that AI are the cure. Yeah. Uh, to it, which I think is a is an interesting, compelling argument. Uh, and and also he talks about how it's had evolution, and I think that that is told in a lot of other AI stories. It's like AI is the logical next step for whatever we are. Uh, right. Take a look at anything like uh, ex machina or uh, westworld you're gonna have kind of the question at least is asked are is artificial intelligence the next step should they is it their world to take on next and for us to be left in the past uh, well i'd so. like to think of like a halfway measure which is cyborgs we're already cyborgs man i know i have this crazy thing on my wrist that tells me how far i've gone and my heart rate stuff i love it yeah <laughs> i think no, like seriously, yeah, Cy- cyborgs of the future. I, I like I like the idea of being a cyborg. I like the idea of becoming cyborgs. And there's no reason why we can't use technology to circumvent our destiny of wiping out everything on this planet. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I don't, I mean, people talk about AI being like the doom of us and being afraid of that. I, I want to, didn't Elon Musk actually say that? Yep. That and uh, Stephen, AI. And Stephen Hawking. And I think I think. Too. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that that is more likely to come about with malicious intent than on accident. Uh, because programming is really hard, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I've always thought about how, it, like, the robots that have, like, programming, like, that, that a human wrote, somebody could put, like, an endless loop in there and then win. Like, that's the end of the robot, you know? And, like, they could do something, a paradox that just doesn't work. Uh if they have access, I guess, to the the internal workings of this robot. Sure, but the uh, idea is that like, as soon as you make something that's 
equally as intelligent as us, then we lo we've lost control because then it can start like fixing itself and reducing redundancies and making it impossible for us to to take it out. Right. Um, which is the whole danger, right? Um, is that it? It determines that we that humans are no longer necessary and that it can do something else. I don't know. I the whole question of like is AI dangerous is really kind of loaded because it's such a broad subject. Like I feel like AI is like cancer and then there's like so much of it and so many different ways it could go that like it's too broad for you to say it's dangerous in one specific way or it's dangerous in general. Yeah. Um and I don't know. It's so right now it's so primitive, right? Like we can only simulate intelligence we can't actually make it intelligent we're trying to do things like machine learning um but it's such a slow process um really you know and it doesn't yeah. work perfectly at, at all there are people out there whose jobs are this to just break machine learning algorithms uh, to to show it things that it's not expecting and have it fail so i don't know it's interesting it's interesting area of study and i feel like we are close but it's also like still a long way off like we still don't know nearly enough about how our own brains work or how intelligence works or how consciousness works the thing that i think is scary is the stuff that nick bostrom talks about of how like we could set into existence a really powerful um machine uh but give it incomplete instructions so like the example he gives is like uh, we want to build a robot that makes humans smile and then the human and then the, the robot says well you know, we could just make like humans happy or, you know, there's certain muscles in your face that if you stimulate with electric shocks, they cause you to smile. So like all we got to do is strap everybody down to a chair and start administering electric shocks. And now everyone's smiling. <laughs> and that's just like an incomplete you know, set of instructions. Right. You didn't understand what smiling meant. And when you yeah. taught it to the robot, it didn't understand. And now it's just being crazy, creepy um, without, you know without intending it so that's such a robot answer for that problem <laughs> exactly i'd love that and it's uh, i think it's really interesting that we can talk about this and like think about this like humans are so good at abstract thought um and you know at perceiving danger that's not even a threat yet um that i feel like we have a chance of stopping it before it's bad but we yeah i don't know i don't know it's I never say never, right? Like there's definitely a possibility that we could create something, even if it's not artificial intelligence, just something smart enough to wipe us all out. Sure, but we could also not do that, and I think that it's definitely not an inevitability. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, at the very least, I don't. I, I feel like I don't try to invest too much energy in being afraid of artificial intelligence, at least not right now. Um, but okay, so moving forward, just a, a few things I just want to appreciate from this movie because the uh, and stop me if I'm getting ahead of you here, but the, the way that this movie leads up to the finale uh, is so good. Like, it's basically the payoff for what this movie is built up towards. Like, once Neo decides, I believe that I can get Morpheus out of there, this movie really turns it up a notch. And it's uh, a lot a lot of uh, visually stimulating scenes with a lot of cool violence and stunts and somersaults. Lots and lots oh. of somersaults. Talk about that perfect backflip um, yeah. when he backflips out of that, like, the rails away from Agent Smith. 
and yes. in slow motion. That's such a cool shot. That was, yeah, and that was such a cool fight between him and Agent Smith because they do a good job of instilling fear of agents in uh, because y- you saw how cool Morpheus was, and he didn't stand a chance. He definitely got uh, thrown around by the agent. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, then- yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I want to get to that, actually. Um, we could talk about that last mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about let's talk about how that builds up because I do like how that that's yes. So first of all, when they get the guns, that whole scene when like the um, the guns appear and they like yes. float down that white like construct, super quickly, construct. yeah, and they like go in there and they're like grabbing all of them, and they have so many guns that they don't even bother reloading; they just grab more guns. Yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. And that whole scene um, right after Neo walks through the metal detector into the building to save Morpheus is such a it's so iconic. It's so good. Um, like he goes to the metal detector and the guy's just like, I'm sorry, sir, you're going to take, you know, get to remove all your metal. And he opens up his jacket and he's just carrying so many guns. And the guy's <laughs> like, what the? <laughs> and that guy gets like punched in the totally, chest. He doesn't even get totally blasted. Well, all well, of them die. Well, and then, yeah. And then Neo starts shooting in both directions. And, uh, there's one of the guards is reading a newspaper and it gets shot down the middle of the newspaper and he rips it in half as he dies. This looks hilarious. Yeah. Uh, which there's so much slow motion and so much environment destruction in this scene. Uh, it, it's, it is so iconic. It's Very so cool. Memorable. And yeah, like the columns collapsing and like being destroyed as they're hiding behind them. And then there's that, that cartwheel where Neo does the cartwheel, grabs the gun, does another cartwheel with one hand, and shoots all the guys. Oh it's just gosh. crazy. It's so like, crazy. So many cartwheels. Like, why, why would you? Why would you think that's better? Like why would yeah. you think that's not? That's gonna make you a harder target. Well, like yeah, like just just diving sideways. You know, if you're the the one, you probably have the same amount of time to aim. It doesn't matter for you as long as you get your yeah. Well, that's the thing I like there. about the slow motion in this movie is that like because they're Trinity and you are supposed to be superhuman, right? Yeah. Um, like the slow motion actually makes sense, and it makes sense that they can survive something crazy, some crazy fight like this because you know they're just superhuman. Yeah, I'm only I'm looking for a word to describe what that is. Where like there's unrealistic action in a movie and it's such you show up to see, you yeah. want to see that stuff, but because of the plot structure leading up to it, you don't have to compromise your uh like your satisfaction of it. Mm. Like it's not like watching Neo and Trinity kill all these guards in the lobby is is different from watching like Transformers destroy a city and each other. Because there's a story that I care about surrounding it, and I, yeah. I wish I wish I had a better word, that more a way to say that more succinctly. Uh, but whenever I do find that, that's when I truly enjoy this gratuitous action, <laughs> gratuitous violence, uh, and that's part of the reason why I love this movie so much is because they give me that they, they give me excuse to enjoy to sit back and just say yes, even though obviously no one can like somersault and shoot people like that. This movie has set it up so that I can believe that easily. And I yeah, but I don't that. think it's really that over the top. You know, I think it's done like pretty well, and like because they they have to dodge the bullets, right? They have to hide and stuff, and the stuff gets destroyed. You see kind of the the damage that happens, even though you don't really see a lot of blood or like Trinity and Neo never get shot, right? But like you believe that they could do it, and it's not like really done over the top, like that like the next scene when they're on the when they're on the roof and the agent starts shooting at him, right? I feel like this is such a like, it does such a good job setting this up, right? Obviously, it's, like, just an open area. There's nowhere to go. It's an agent, so you know he's super good with the bullets and stuff. So he's shooting at him, and is like, what are you going to do, Neo? And, of course, he does that iconic bending at the knees, laying right. down, like, crazy arm flailing, bullet time, spinning cameras. I don't even know. Yes, have you have you seen the rig that they set up yeah, to, to so film cool. that? So awesome. 
I mean, oh uh, that became like a thing after the Matrix movie. People copied that, and uh, it, that's that's one of the most iconic things. About, like, even if you haven't seen the Matrix, you know what that is. That's like a jaw dropping moment. You know, like you you see that, and you're just like, holy crap! There's so much happening at that one moment, and you just like you feel just how cool it is. Like it's like the camera's moving as you go through the bullets, and the like you see the shockwaves of the bullets that they fly past Neo, and he's just like in this impossible situation like like people like try and do like oh i'm doing the matrix and they like bend at the hips and i'm like yeah whatever man like he was at the freaking <laughs> knees <laughs> you're not doing the matrix <laughs> that even make that's sense. the limbo at best <laughs> yeah right i mean neil would kill at the limbo um yeah no but yeah it is super cool and yeah it's so iconic that that uh the way the camera like goes around him uh and it's it's like delivering on what we've seen visually it's delivering and also uh literally as far as like the story is involved it's delivering on neo is the one he's, right. d- he's doing he's doing things he's, that no one can do exactly and, and and trinity makes that clear after when she says right well after uh, she like, saves how'd him. you do that and she pulls right the, it, the gun right yeah that, oh my gosh like, I, I want a screenshot of that as my background of when she after she shoots the, the agent and he's like falling yes in, in slow motion she's like dodge this Super cool. Yeah, great line, too. Oh, because right before that, the agent says, because Neo got hit actually a couple times while he's doing the bullet time. Uh, and then he goes, only human. And she goes, dodge this. Blast him. Human. Yeah, good stuff. Have you seen the Lego version of that? No. There's, there's somebody, a, did somebody did a, like a, a Lego animation version of that scene. It's really great. <laughs> that's uh, that's awesome. That's how iconic it is, dude. People even going to remake it with Legos. Uh, oh, the, yeah. the, the thrills don't stop there. Because no. they get in the helicopter and fly it over to try to rescue Morpheus and Neo with a with a very unconventional strategy of firing a weapon directly or like everywhere <laughs> in this building and some At Morpheus this, yeah in this room yeah and somehow not hitting Morpheus uh, <laughs> and hitting everybody else too. which the thing is while that was happening I was like what he's shooting right at Morpheus but also it's you kind of forget that because it's so visually stunning there's like all this glass breaking and water because it's been the sprinklers have been going off in there yeah. for a while and uh, you see like the the bullets the trail of bullets leading up going through one of the agents just ah so awesome i, I i'm like yeah, so you impressed see the, like all the casings falling from the helicopter yes in slow motion that's ah man you just like you're like yeah this is a lot of bullets like don't forget <laughs> yeah it's crazy amount so, of bullets yeah and then yeah, and then morpheus gets up he breaks the the <sighs> The chains that uh, like kept that him on him. the yeah the chains that bind him on the chair and he starts running and the agents are now outside the in the other or, or they're like outside the room and like they shoot through the wall at him and we get this amazing camera angle that follows like it shows it going through the wall and then through Morpheus's leg in this cloud of pink like mist yeah uh, because it's like kind of underwater and uh, it, which is I I really I thought that was some amazing cinematography. Uh, and then he yeah. he jumps across to Neo. Uh, it's amazing and then, how well that works, right? Like setting that that whole scene up is like is complex because first they have to kill all the agents, and then the agents have to come back, and then they have to know where Morpheus is, and you like you have to know that they're shooting through the wall at him, and they do such a good job like setting that as like a you know an action set piece. Oh yeah. And then um you know Morpheus does get shot. He doesn't get out unscathed, and then Neo has to save him, obviously. Well, and this leads to them like swinging from the helicopter through the city. And uh, the the helicopter gets a couple of bullets in it, and suddenly it's wildly out of control. Which yeah, let's shoot the, the gas tank. Yeah, what a I, shoddy helicopter. I guess. And, I, and, I always wonder about that though. Like, 
Helicopters are super fragile. Like, you, I, I, I don't know if this is true, but like, if you put a post-it stamp on the end of a helicopter blade, you can't take off. Like, the no, will crash. You're kidding me. Something like that. And like the the back, like if I'm if I was gonna take down a helicopter, I would obviously shoot at the rear like rotor. The rear yeah. rotor keeps you from flipping upside down. So, just shoot that, you know, and then you're the guy's dead. You can't get out. There's no parachute's gonna save you from that. Okay, I, I'll give it to him that maybe this is a realistic portrayal of helicopter durability when it comes <laughs> to being shot, but. It leads up. I'm glad, I guess, that the way Check that they that one off the bus. I'm, gl- I'm glad that's the way they do it because it leads to another one of my favorite oh scenes, my gosh. where the helicopter smashes into the side of the building and like as Trinity is flying away of the building. Yeah, like you see the ripples in the wall. Oh man, it's so cool. It is, and the explosion, and like with Trinity in the forefront and the explosion behind her, she's swinging away. Just right to the middle. Yeah. Amazing. So, so. good. <clears throat> <laughs> Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about is the scene with Neo and Agent Smith. The standoff. Okay. Yes. Which, for everybody else, has pretty much meant certain death or at least capture. That's right. That's, point. that's what Cypher says. When you see an agent, run. Yes. Um, and yeah, so Neo stands, in, stands his ground. Um, and he's like, you know, getting thrown around by the agent. and the agent Wait, says, huh, is this your last thing? Yeah. Because I, I did want to bring up one more thing, even though chron- chronologically it happens after this. I wanted to bring up one more thing that I thought was well, interesting. Okay, well, we can talk about it after, I guess. Okay, fair enough. Continue, continue. Okay. So, um, he's he, the agent throws Neo around, and he's got all that dust on him. And then he's like, he has another opportunity to run, um, but he just stands there and flexes, and all the dust, like, comes off <laughs> yeah. of him. That's so cool. <laughs> um, and then um, they have that huge fight, and, like, I can remember... Like every every punch, every gunshot in that fight is so like visceral for me. I remember every moment of it, and like them hitting their heads against each other, and like the agents using his like super punching stuff, like he's like punching super fast and like into the and wall. Neo's Neo's shaking around in the yeah. chair. He's a uh, one of the things I love about the way that they film fight scenes, like hand to hand combat in this movie, is that they uh, don't do a lot of jump cuts. So there's a you get to see a sequence of hits before the camera changes and that makes it seem that much more real and also implies like a certain level of skill coming out of the participants in the fight yeah because well well, keanu reeves is a martial arts expert i don't know if he was before this movie but he is now um i don't know about hugo weaving though well uh, but it it, you could have fooled me you know because you it's hard to fake what they were doing Uh, so it it, at the very least it, it was well choreographed yeah, uh, and I much rather see that if you're gonna show me a lot of hand-to-hand combat, then you know, cutscene here, cutscene here, where you basically just get a feeling for a fight and right. nothing specific. Yeah, I hate that. You know, especially like boring movies do that so much. With all the shaky cam and like all the like quick cuts and everything, just like you're saying. Right. Um, well, they cut out because they cut out the frames where like the impact is happening, so it seems like it's hitting harder. Right. Uh, That's right. And, and um, yeah, and I feel like this here. this this fight scene is kind of slower, a little bit more like almost frustrating in a way like watching them kind of punch each other but it definitely feels like it feels like a real fight right it doesn't feel like a choreographed dance it feels like they're like hitting each other um which you know i I really appreciate and it does feel smooth it feels quick too because you know that these guys are are good and that you know in the story they're they're really fast and really strong right 
And then, of course, um, the Neo gets thrown in front of the train, and the agent is standing there, like with his head in like a headlock, and he says, "That's the sound of inevitability, Mister Anderson." And then um, Neo jumps into the ceiling and knocks the agent out so that he can backflip off the thing. So okay. triumphant. And then immediately the train stops and another agent walks out. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and that's when Neo runs. Uh, which yeah, is what choice. he was. Yeah. Which I guess he could have done all along. Or, uh, but he's, he's killed an agent hand to hand. Well, I guess the thing I wanted to bring up that I thought may have been a little bit cheesy, but I'd like sure. to get your input on was Trinity's uh, prophecy from the okay. Oracle. Yes. Was that the, she would fall in love with the one. And so that is when Neo really became the one is when she kissed him and was like, like true love's kiss. Now you're the one. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay with Trinity being in love with Neo. Like we said all through the movie, everyone thinks he's a hunk. Uh, but he, I just thought it was a little bit much that that was he dies and then he comes back to life when she says like, I love you and, yeah. and like kisses his corpse uh, and he becomes and then he wakes back up and he's the one because it's such a climactic moment it is nice to have something that really it's like oh neo's dead but no one thinks neo's dead right he's obviously going to come back uh, and that's the thing that brings him back so eh, i get it's all right uh but i just think as they do so well in a lot of other aspects i think that bringing like the true love is like the most powerful thing uh into the picture is uh yeah, it doesn't, I, I, ma- it doesn't reach the bar that the rest of this movie is setting. I do want to kind of complain about that, but they do set that up like several times. Like there's several times when they when Neo confronts Trinity and uh-huh. asks her like, "What did the Oracle tell you?" and she's just like, "I'm not gonna say anything. Just awkwardly stand here." Um, and then <laughs> she's like, "No, it's not possible." Like right, Neo says, "I'm not the one." The Oracle said, "I'm not the one," and and Trinity says, "That's not possible," and that's because she's in love with him. Okay, so she knows that. You know, whatever. Um, so, and, and that's continued in the next movie. Obviously, their their love affair plays a huge role. Yeah. Uh, so it is important. I feel like it is like a huge. Like they do set it up well, and they do set her up as that. But I don't appreciate that. Like that's kind of her only role, I guess. Like I guess that's not really true. She is kind of like a leader in the team, as after Morpheus goes, and she is like badass in her own right. But like. I don't know. It does feel kind of shoehorned, like that she's just kind of like the love interest in a way. You know, she's the girl, so she's gonna fall in love with the main character. Exactly. Well, that's kind of how it felt. It was that it's like, well, she can't go the whole movie without falling in love with someone. She's the female character. Obviously, she's gonna fall in love. So uh, it, maybe I'm being hypercritical, but yeah, I just but felt like it was a little of, bit a little cornball. Kind of fit in with the biblical stuff where the Trinity saves Neo, right? Okay. Um. So I don't know. Plus, there's like that. I don't know. It, it is interesting, like, from the prophecy standpoint everything, having that the Oracle have everything come true in, like, this kind of grand fashion. Um, so Which I, is, yeah, and that makes I sense, too. I do think too, it's like, satisfying from a story perspective, but it does kind of, I don't know, it does kind of grate me a little way, a little bit. It's, and, yeah, and the, the Oracle's uh, prophecy, that's, like, a, that's more confirmation that, uh, you know, because this is the second person whose prophecy is basically saying Neo is the one. Yeah, because uh, obviously Morpheus had that as well. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, yeah, they really need that, but whatever. I like having Trinity in the movie. I'd I'd rather have Trinity in the movie than not have and have her be the love interest in the year than not have her in the movie. Agreed, definitely agreed. 
And uh, and then we also just we have the scene where Neo comes back and stops. Well, before the that, the, the Agent Smith shoots him like six times. He opens his whole like he doesn't just shoot him once. And he's like, oh, he's dead. You know, gotta gotta get the double tap in. Oh, know? he kills him. He, he totally. He's they like, even check his body, and he's like, oh, he's dead. Yeah, oh, he's dead. Like he doesn't mess around. I I like that. Like it wasn't just like he missed. It was like no, he's dead. He shot. Him. <laughs> Yeah, and then, of course, he comes back, and now he no longer has to dodge bullets because that's what uh, Morpheus referenced early in the movie. Yes, Morpheus said... Uh, yeah, because uh, Once asked you him, become the one, you won't have to dodge yes. bullets. Yes. Or something like that. I, yeah, I'm well, because that. Neo said... He says, I can dodge bullets. He goes, when the time comes, you won't have to. Nice. And uh, and it comes. it is true. That's another very iconic scene where he just says, no, and stops the puts bullets. Up those, puts up the hand, and... The, the he doesn't consent... To getting shot with bullets. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then he, of course, you see things through his eyes, and like the numbers are scrolling down, right? He like can see the, like the inner workings of the matrix inside the matrix, and he like flexes, and the whole world like flexes around him. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool. Okay. Anyway, well, do you have any other comments on this movie? Um, besides that, it's still great. No, <laughs> it is still great. This movie holds it up, and I'm glad uh, we checked. We, 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 we checked, and we're like, "Is the Matrix still great?" And the answer is yes. Yes, no I opinions agree. were changed in this podcast today. Good way to <laughs> good way to summarize it, I think. And uh, so, I, with that, I will uh, say thank you for listening. Uh, we're available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Uh, if you've listened this far. I said this on one another podcast this week, but if you've listened this far, you've already done more than most. So go ahead and review us on iTunes. It's just one more step. Uh, that really helps us get more exposure and uh, get more content out there. Tweet at us uh, on Twitter, hashtag AffableChat. Uh, Joey, thank you so much for joining me once again. Absolutely. And we are done.